This morning, I woke around 5.30. I knew from the height of Venus. My tent is just a mozzie dome, so I sleep under a full canopy of stars. They go all the way down to the horizon. And with no moon, they shine brightly through the trees and disappear and reappear as I move my head a few inches left or right. I'm up by 6.30, and after a quick breakfast of muesli and the yogurt that arrived on yesterday's fortnightly food plane, I grab my camera, water, some language learning notes, my iPod, and shove them in my day pack and head out. I whistle to Slim, one of the dogs. I pass Gagak, my maternal grandmother and wave to her, and we leave the camp. It's just 7am, the rising sun on my back. The sandy jeep track leads me through open forest, undulating countryside. After about 10 minutes, low stone slabs appear on the left, and a stream crosses the track. The path descends gradually. The stone slabs pile up on each other, Soon they look like layer cakes, five metres tall. I wonder if there's rock art on the hidden sides, but I don't see any. We continue down slowly, and in 20 minutes the rocks are at least 30 metres high, and I see some rock art near the base of one of them. Slim, the dogs out the front, occasionally bounding after a kangaroo or goanna and putting me at ease in case buffalo or pigs or snakes are around the next corner. I pick up a big stick and um, use it to clear spider webs as well. The sun's already strong and I'm glad for the shelter of the trees. They're so diverse and I recognize so few of them. Looking through them to rock formations on my left and a stream some way off to the right with its denser vegetation tells me that I'm in a national park. But this isn't one. You need a permit to come here as a visitor, unless you're indigenous. Or I guess if you're a mining company and want to wreck the place. I think of the indigenous inhabitants removed off this land by previous governments and missions to places like Owen Pelly and Manangrida. How extraordinary it is to have this outstation of Gabawanamuir, where Aboriginal Australians can again live on their land and manage it, and do preventative burning and maintain and protect their rock art from these introduced species like um, the buffalo and the pigs that will rub it off the rock. To think that only a year ago Arnhem Land was a blank part of the map for me and nearly everyone I know. I guess I thought it was just bush and swamp. And in a way, that's what it is. But I never imagined it would be so beautiful. I'm brought back to the present. There's a fork in the track. I wind... I take the downhill fork and wind through rocks on both sides now, continuing down to thicker vegetation the track peters out. There's so many varieties of bird. I just stop and listen. I wander further, lost in thought.
Yesterday's food plan brought food for the whole community. It felt like Christmas. We order online at Jabaroo, pay a $35 picking fee, and a charity-sponsored plan brings it to the outstation. The 50 to 100 people depend on this food supply. Why can't Aboriginal land management include cultivation of crops, like bananas and pawpaws, I wonder? I guess it's because we only live in the present here. The track has brought me to a billabong, and I pause to photograph the reflections of pandanus palms. I push on through metre-high grass, clearing spiderwebs along the way, and finally reach rushing water the headwaters of the Liverpool River. It's flowing in the opposite direction I was expecting. And so I'm not sure where I am on the map that was in my head. What would I do if I was lost out here? If I get my bearings wrong, it's a three-day walk north to the Manangrita Access Road, and I'm not carrying any food with me. I'm amazed how Aboriginal communities survived on this land in the past. But the sun is still low on the east, and I can easily turn 180 degrees and follow it back to camp. I turn back and walk up through those high rock pancake stacks in all their ochre colours. Back at the fork I take the other path and soon come to a sign, Wadakan Indigenous Protected Area. The rock nearby has hand paintings, the kind where you blow paint and leave a shadow. Children's hands at many angles. It's under an outcrop, and I think of the children. Gojan, that's her skin name or her section. Alyssa, who turns eight next week, who's been helping me with colouring literacy materials. Because she's Gojan and I'm Bangadi, I call her Ngadburun, sibling. Although she's not my classificatory sister, she's my cousin's sister, since our mothers are classificatory sisters. Well, there's Wamudjan Estella, who's 12, who I call Ganyok or Gakali, meaning she's the right skin. She's from the section that I could marry. Or Galijan Natasha, who's about 14, I think, who I call Gangin, sister's child, or son's wife. Um, then there's Bulan Tyson who's seven, who I call Nagarong, poison cousin. These kids are at school at Wadakin Academy, many of them staying with extended family as their parents are elsewhere. They're behind mainstream schools in terms of numeracy and literacy, but those skills don't feel very motivated out here. They're bilingual, bicultural, with detailed knowledge of this place and a lot of curiosity about the natural world. I walk on and I'm chest high in grass and there's denser forest all around me. Two hours have passed by now. Finally, discretion gets the better of me and I turn back. Slim looks relieved that he can stop his tunnelling and jumping. I dig out my iPod and put on the next episode of S-Town for company on the walk back. And the country glides by like I'm in a train.